Good morning, Renewal. Welcome to another Sunday morning of our digital Sunday service. Today is the first Sunday of the Advent season. Uh, During this first Sunday and during this first week of Advent, our focus is on the theme of hope. Each of the four weeks of Advent is uh, characterized by a different theme, and the theme for this week is, as I said, hope. Our text for today is out of Isaiah chapter 9. This is a prophecy that was written, recorded, and delivered by a prophet named Isaiah. He lived around 700 years before Jesus' birth, and his ministry was during the decline of the nation of Israel. The Syrian Empire had begun to spread across uh, the local part of the world at that time, and the split kingdoms of Israel and Judah had both fallen pretty far from the covenants that God had made with them. And so Isaiah and his prophecies are largely about God's judgment that is coming on his people. God telling his people that you can't wander away from me and expect me to preserve you in your wandering. And God warning his people to repent or to be turned over to the Assyrians. Peppered throughout these warnings, though, are some glimpses of hope. Despite the wandering, despite the broken covenants, God promises that he will give Israel a king, a Messiah, an anointed one who will set all things right and establish God's kingdom forever. And it's one of these little bits of hope that we're going to focus on today. Uh, This is from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. And the prophet uh, reads, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy, and they rejoice before you, as people rejoice at the harvest, or as warriors rejoiced when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, and the bar across their shoulders, and the rod of their oppressors. We'll keep reading a little bit more. I know it's a lot, but just hang in there. Verse 5, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire. And verse 6, for to us a child is born and to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That was kind of a long passage, but we're going to break it down and walk through it bit by bit here now. Uh, First, let's just focus on the last part of that passage. How are these things going to happen? How is it that God is going to restore the fortunes of his people? Um... And the the passage ends saying that God's zeal or his passion, or we could think of it as the emotional fire that God experiences within his own soul uh, that is somehow tied to his faithful commitment to his people. Uh, Even though his people wander, even though uh, the land is shrouded in darkness and destruction, somewhere in all of that, God's passion and zeal are uh, holding fast, and he will not give up on his people. The passage says it will be just like the days of Midian's defeat. And I know you guys remember Midian's defeat, right? Uh, Here's a point where maybe to the original audience, uh, they knew exactly what Isaiah was talking about. But for us, we have to do just a little bit of digging. And so what is the prophet talking about? What event uh, is signified by the phrase Midian's defeat? If you have trouble remembering this, a convenient way to remember who Midian relates to is that uh, Midian rhymes with Gideon. And Gideon 
uh, one of the judges in ancient Israel uh, won a great victory over the land of Midian, over the people of Midian, over the Midianites who were oppressing Israel. And so uh, we're going to look at that story uh, here as we try to understand this passage. So back during the time of Judges, Israel was living in rebellion to God, and he had given them over to be raided, uh, to have their crops ruined, and to be otherwise harassed by the Midianites. And after seven years of this, Israel began to cry out to God for mercy and, and for help. And God chose a man named Gideon to go up against these Midianites. And as God uh, commanded Gideon to lead Israel's army against the Midianites, his assurance that he offered to Gideon was this. He said, I will be with you. He said, I'm going to give you the victory. And so Gideon goes out uh, with great courage and musters a sizable army, and they're getting ready to go to battle. And then God says to Gideon that the army is too big. He says, I want to make sure that you know that it's me who is giving you the victory and not the size of your army. I want all of Israel to know that it is God who is inserting himself into this scenario and rescuing his people and not just simply the people rising up and rescuing themselves. And so God tells Gideon to send away anyone in the army who might be afraid. And 22,000 terrified soldiers leave. This might seem like a lot, but Gideon still has 10,000 left, which I would think is a fairly sizable army. And so he goes on to get ready to go to battle. And yet God comes to him again and says, the army's still too big. Again, he says, I want to make sure that all of Israel knows that I'm the one who's fighting this battle for you. So there's another test, and this time only 300 people are left. And so if you're any good at math, you know that Gideon started out with over 30,000 people, and he's, God has whittled his forces down to just 300 men. So with a band of just 300 people, Gideon sneaks out to the Midianites' army uh, camp uh, to prepare for attack. And, of course, he has assurances that God is with him. He believes that God's going to do something dramatic. And so uh, he ends up engaging the, the battle with this plan. He says, I want each man to have a clay pot with a torch inside and a horn. And so they surround the camp in the middle of the night. And in the deepest darkness of the night, they smash the pots. And you could imagine instantly the sky is lit up with the great light of these torches all around the camp. And then... And then uh, they blow the trumpets, and, and they shout out, the sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon. And then the biblical narrative says that when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their own swords. And so the entire Midianite army ends up being routed by Gideon without any Israelites having to lift so much as a sword. In the end, God does exactly what he said he would do. He comes through on his promise. He fights their battle for them. He delivers Israel. And Isaiah is saying to the audience in his day, and I believe the scripture speaks to us forward through time to an audience sitting here today, uh, Isaiah is saying to us, just like God came through for Gideon, he's going to come through for you. To those who are enslaved and oppressed, just like the Midianites that ruled over us and took all the crops and oppressed our people, he says, just like that, like when God broke us free from that yoke of slavery, he is breaking us free in this season, or is committed to breaking us free at some point in the future. Isaiah is saying to the, the people uh, on the, 
on the cusp of being in, invaded and conquered by the Assyrians. He's saying, just like that time, that one time, the, one of the darkest points of our history, just like that time that the jars were shattered and the torch light of the army of God's people illuminated the darkness and threw the Midianites into chaos, he says, God is committed to giving us a victory just like that. And just like that, God's light is going to shine into the darkness and give us a dramatic victory. The question might be asked on this revelation, well, when will this happen? How is God going to do this? How are we going to know that this is the season that God is moving on behalf of his people? And to those asking that question, this sign is given. Unto us a son is born. Unto us a son is given. And this is no normal child being born. The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. All titles that could only be reserved for God himself. And of the greatness of this son's government and peace, there is going to be no end. And so in the darkness and defeat as Israel watched its own kingdom and its people crumble away and and then the people be let off into slavery, there's a light of hope shining because there's going to be a son born. There's going to be a son given. And for us sitting here today and facing whatever kind of darkness or defeat we might be walking through in this Advent season, we have a hope as well. Because looking back, we know that a son was born, a son was given. This is what we celebrate during the Advent season and on Christmas Day. We know that this son is a wonderful counselor, that he is the mighty God, that he is the everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. And we know that his kingdom is advancing to eternity, that his kingdom knows no end. And we know that we have received an invitation to be swept away in his kingdom with him, basking in his marvelous light and rejoicing in his truth. That we are beloved by a benevolent God who has given everything for us and entered into the darkness of our season to rescue us. Now, every week we take time to remember uh, this great God who has given all things to us, and we remember it through the bread and the cup. And although if you're listening to this from home on Sunday morning, you might not be with other Christian brothers and sisters, I just want to invite you to take a moment to think about, to contemplate, to reflect on uh, Christ's sacrifice for us. He gave his body broken for us, uh, and he gave his blood as a seal of the new covenant that God is no longer holding our sins against us. Whatever darkness you may be enduring in life in this season, I pray that you would see the, the evidence of Christ's sacrifice for you as a beacon of light, uh, bringing God's incredible goodness into your heart and into your life and into the surrounding climate of this season. Um, let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you for your light that shines in the darkness. We thank you that you came down from heaven as the light of the world, uh, giving life to all humanity. We pray that During this Advent season, our hearts would be lifted in hope of the great things that you are going to do uh, and your faithfulness to always come through. I pray that when we're facing trials or when we're facing what seem like insurmountable odds, we would be reminded of a small band of men overcoming uh, the opposing army uh, without so much as lifting a sword uh, because of your great power moving on their behalf. We pray that your power be moving on our behalf in this day, in this time, and against the challenges that we face. And uh, we just put our hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen.